Father, it's an honor to be in your presence. Thank you for your invitation. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Thanks guys for being here, appreciate it a lot. Those who are connecting online, we're grateful that you're with us. We hope you connect not only with us, but with God this morning. Okay, you're going to have to speak out pretty loud. Can anyone name someone besides Jesus who was crucified by the Romans? Anybody? Peter. Peter. Huh? Paul? No, he was beheaded. Anybody else? Come on, you old guys. Did you ever see the movie? I am Spartacus, right? Kirk Douglas, great old movie. Peter, according to, Roman, according to Christian tradition, he was crucified by an emperor by the name of Nero about 35 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, and he asked to be crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die in the same way as a savior. Amazing. And then you've got this guy Spartacus, and if you're old, you might remember the movie and that great scene, I am Spartacus, right? Bottom line, the Romans crucified tens of thousands of people people, and even the historians among us maybe know the name of three. That's it. And it makes sense that we know the name of Spartacus. He was a former gladiator, a brilliant military tactician. He led a slave rebellion that almost took down the empire, defeated army after army that the Romans sent after him until finally they sent eight legions to take him down. And they defeated him, crucified 6,000 of his followers along the Apian Way, a road from Rome to Capua in Italy. Basically a body every 100 feet for 120 miles. Professional historians wanted to tell his story. And so historians like Plutarch and Apian and Florist and Sallust and Livy, these guys were paid to tell the his story because they wanted others to know what happens if a slave revolts. But Jesus, they only crucified nobodies and people who were incredibly dangerous like Spartacus. Jesus was a nobody from one of the armpits of the Roman Empire. Who cares? Professional historians give him almost no attention, probably would have given him no attention except Jesus' followers were starting to become annoying all around the empire. And he was a peasant. He gathered peasants as his entourage. No money, political power, no army. Crucified and discarded, they hoped. And yet within decades, Jesus' followers were all over the Roman Empire and beyond. And today there are two and a half billion people in our world who call themselves Jesus' followers. How did that happen? How did it start? How did it survive? How did it spread? Well, according to quite a number of eyewitnesses, and guys, these guys had nothing to gain in this world and a whole lot to lose in this world. Something special happened, amazing happened, epic, that changed everything for every person for all time. They saw him die, and then they saw him alive. And he wasn't just barely alive. And what's bigger than that is that Jesus had told them repeatedly that he'd do that, he'd be back. And guys, if a man predicts his own death and his own resurrection and pulls it off, you might listen to him. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God. God could pull something like that off, right? And he claimed to be the way to God, the truth of God, the life of God. 
So they bought it. They went out, they started telling people, he was dead, now he's not, we saw him. And he is the Son of God, he is the Christ, the Messiah. He is our Savior. And they were so bold, so compelling, so powerful in their witness that on day one, the launch day of the church, 3,000 people signed on to the cause. Amazing. Guys, the church did not survive because Jesus worked miracles and was an amazing teacher. Church didn't survive because we were so well organized, so trained, and so sophisticated in our strategies. They weren't. Something happened. Something happened that changed everything. Something happened that was so compelling that it became the cause for so many people that trumped every other cause. Something happened that emboldened these very ordinary guys to risk absolutely anything to advance the movement. They're on a mission from God, the most important mission ever, to let people know Jesus is alive, Jesus is God. He is the way to God, the life of God, the truth of God. He is the Savior, and we've got to let people know. We still do. So at the outset, Jesus' followers were on fire outwardly focused, but what happened in the early church is what happened in nearly every church. We start out all fired up, on mission, pursuing a cause, outwardly focused, and as time passes on, we start thinking about ourselves more than our mission. We start migrating from use me, God, to serve me, God. We built churches to advance the cause, to attract outsiders. Pretty soon they became our house our property, wrote songs to honor our God and advance the cause, but pretty soon they become our songs. It's about what I like, what I want. We created programs to advance the cause, to attract outsiders, and sometimes the programs become more important than the mission. And you start hearing profanities around church like this. We've never done it that way before. Who cares? It's the gravitational force that messes up nearly every church, the, the drift from an outward focus, the mission, the cause to taking care of our own. And listen, because this is where we're going to drill down this morning. One of the ways to evaluate whether a church is still on mission is to listen to how it prays. How do you pray? In fact, it works for Jesus followers. One of the ways that you can detect whether a Jesus follower is still on mission is to listen to how they pray. If you want to put it in a trite way, how a church prays betrays when it strays, right? How a Jesus follower, a man or a woman, prays betrays when they have gotten off mission. So this next part <clears throat> really isn't directed at those of you who are not Jesus followers yet. If you want to go ahead and listen in, that'd be cool, and you could chuckle if you want at some of our silliness. But if you are a Jesus follower, you need to lean in. Think about your prayers. What do you pray about? What do you pray for most? most passionately. Now, if we're going to be ruthlessly honest, I suspect that most of us pray mostly for ourselves, for our families, maybe for a few friends, maybe two or three sick people. And I suspect most of us would admit that most of our prayers are kind of puny, right? God, thank you for the day. It's okay, cool. God, bless this food to my body. God, keep us safe on the roads. God, kind of hold off the rain till after the game, please. God, bless me. Bless my family. God, keep us from the COVID. Heal us from the COVID. God, help me pass this test. Help me get a job. Help us win the game. 
Maybe. They're not bad prayers. They're just kind of puny. And I prayed every one of them. I intend to keep on praying them. But just think about it a little bit. You know, sometimes our prayers, we're not sure. God bless this food to my body. Any idea what that means? If you know what it means, let me know. I don't have a clue. God, keep us safe on the road. I guess. We got great roads, not too many thugs out there on the roads holding up cars. We got great cars, seat belts, most people follow the law. Have you ever been on the road in a third world country? <laughs> or in a country where Jesus followers are targets? I think those Jesus followers might laugh at us a little when they hear us pray, God, keep us safe on the roads. Because when they pray, God, keep us safe on the roads, it means something a little different, doesn't it? Or God, bless me. Bless my family. And those Jesus followers in the third world countries are like, what? Don't you have enough already? You have more money in your ashtray than we would have in a bank if we had a bank. God, help me pass this test. I love that prayer, all right? I was a professor at a Bible college, and on the day of the test, I would usually pray the prayer. And I would usually say something like this, God, if these kids studied hard, help them remember what they studied. If they didn't study hard, help me see through their facade and hose them. <laughs> Bottom line, our prayers tend to be self-absorbed, kind of puny prayers. I mean, what difference would they really make in the big scheme of things? And some of it's okay, if it doesn't stop there. I mean, God invites us to pray about anything. That's cool. But these are not the kind of prayers that blew up the Roman Empire. They are not the kind of prayers that led to two and a half billion people who call themselves Jesus followers in our world today. Listen, if God answered all of your prayers last week, all of your prayers, is there a chance that the only people that would be better off would be you and your family and those close to you? An election last week, perhaps, if God answered your prayers, the country would be a little more red or a little bit more blue or a little more peaceful. Would the kingdom be any stronger? Would God's kingdom be any stronger? Go ahead and pray the puny prayers. God listens to those, and he cares. He's a big God. He cares. But a big church prays big prayers, too. Let me show you. It's a few weeks after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he tells his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. That's where they are. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. In a few days, he says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They don't have any clue what that means yet. But they will. Then Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to receive power, and you're going to need that power because you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He says, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to tell them what you have seen, and you're going to tell them what it means, why it matters. Seven weeks after Jesus died and lived again, 120 of the Jesus followers are assembled. They're gathered because that's what we do. Holy Spirit was poured out on them by God, and they started getting it done. They started witnessing. We talked about this last week. 
Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon to some of the same people who had called for Jesus to be crucified about two months ago. And Peter says, you killed him. You guys killed him. God raised him. We saw him. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Weirdly enough, he's not out for revenge. He loves you. And he wants to change you. 3,000 people on day one repented, turned to God and were baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And they also received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was a huge day, guys, day one of the church. We talked about all that stuff last week. Sermons on our website if you want to catch up. Anyway, a few days later, Peter and John, two big dogs in the early church, apostles, they were on their way into the temple, and on their way in, they healed this guy, this guy who everybody knew. He was lame. He'd been begging there for a long time. He'd been lame since birth. He wants money. Peter says, I don't have any money to give you, but I will give you what I do have. And then he says to the guy, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Get up and walk. And the guy does. Creates quite a commotion. And Peter says, why are you guys looking at us as if we're so special? Think we did it? was Jesus. You guys remember Jesus? You know, the guy you handed over to the Romans about two months ago, the guy you murdered? You killed the author of life. You murdered the guy who gave you life. Think about that. God raised him from the dead. We saw it. We're witnesses of that fact. Now, turn to God through this Jesus and he will forgive you and he will save you. You've got to remember that Peter is saying this stuff in the headquarters of the guys who murdered Jesus. Temple. I mean, who had Jesus arrested? Who had a mock trial? Who took Jesus to Pilate to get it done? The guys who ran this place, the temple. And they're mad at Peter and John. He said, you can't be about preaching this kind of stuff. Think they scared off Peter and John? I mean, these were the guys who had murdered Jesus who were telling them to shut up and now Peter and John are out there kind of poking sticks into a hornet's nest it's like saying things like you guys killed him God raised him if I were you I'd get right with God and even before the trial Luke says that 5,000 people signed on as Jesus followers it actually says 5,000 of the men and the word it uses for men looks like males, which means it may have been a way bigger number than that. This thing about Jesus was exploding way faster than an airborne virus. And the authorities needed to do something to stop it. So they arrested Peter John. They put him in jail. Next day, they put on a trial. They're saying things like, you guys better explain yourselves. By what power, in whose authority are you guys doing this stuff? Who's the one telling you you can say this stuff? Peter says, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Remember Jesus? The guy you crucified about two months ago? The guy God raised from the dead? The guy in whose name this lame guy was healed? And then Peter says this. He says, there is salvation in nobody else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Holy cow. That's narrow, that's bigoted, that's intolerant, right? That wouldn't sell today. 
I mean, maybe Jesus was a great guy, maybe one of the greatest religious teachers ever, right up there with Abraham and Moses and David and Muhammad and Buddha and Krishna and Oprah, right? That's humor. But salvation in no one else, no one else, no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, the only way to God, the only truth of God, the only life of God, that's narrow-minded, isn't it? Unless it's true. Because grace without truth is not grace. And the guys who were running the trial looked at the boldness of Peter and John. They're amazed. They're two very ordinary guys. And, and they were nervous that they clamped down too hard. The people would revolt because this lame guy, everybody knew it. He's not lame anymore. And people are all fired up. And so they're thinking, what do we do with these guys? Everyone knows about the miracle. They're fired up. We can't deny it. But we can't let him keep preaching Jesus. So they call Peter and John in and they say, never, ever, ever preach this Jesus again. Never for any reason. Shut up, they tell him. Peter looks at them and says, really? <laughs> Jesus, you know, the guy you killed, the guy God raised, the guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, well, he told us to tell everybody about it and you guys are telling us to shut up. So do we do what the guy who is like God tells us to do? Or do we do what you tell us to do? We're not going to shut up, guys. Awkward moment, isn't it? Well, the judges finally have to let him go. People are stirred up. And Peter and John go back to the gathering, to the assembly. That's what the church does. Part of being a church. Peter and John told them what the chief priests and elders had said. They told us, shut up or else. And the Jesus followers, they're like, well, okay. We're supposed to submit to the governing authorities, right? Got to follow their rules, right? At least we should tone it down a little bit, right? No, you're shaking your chain. I'm drawing a lot of this stuff from Andy Stanley. He's a great preacher down in Atlanta. And here's how he describes how we might counsel Peter and John. This is what we might say. Guys, Peter, John, here's what we got to do. First of all, you're not allowed to travel together anymore. We can't lose both of you. So Peter, if you go out, John, you stay in. Don't travel together anymore. Number two, we got to get some of those black tricked out Escalades, right? We need some of the guys with sunglasses and suits and little things pointing pulling out their ears, right, you know. They need security. We need guys like Dion right here. Guys are way too important. Number three, got to tone down the rhetoric, right? Peter, no more talk about murdering Jesus and resurrection stuff, for a while at least. Just lay low for a while. John, if you have to preach, preach about love. I mean, people love love, right? Peter, you heard the stuff Jesus taught. Maybe you ought to focus on something like blessed are the peacemakers, right? That ought to... That ought to make him happy. It ought to sell pretty well. So let's tone down the rhetoric. Let's lay low for a while. And once this thing is over, maybe we can kind of ratchet it up back up again. And please, no more of this. There's no salvation in anyone else. It's too intolerant, judgmental, bigoted. So we've got a plan, right? Don't travel together. Let's get some escalades. Tone down the rhetoric, all right? Not what they said. They started praying. What do you think they prayed for? They started praying. How would you pray? You're Peter or John. You've just gotten out of 
jail from the same guys who had murdered Jesus, or maybe you're one of the early Jesus followers and you care about Peter and John, you care about yourself. This is serious stuff. These are the same authorities who had murdered Jesus. I mean, now there's jail, there's warnings. How do you pray? Now, maybe this is cynical, but I suspect that we good Americans would start our prayers with a prayer for protection. God, we need some protection here. We need a hedge of protection around us, right? This would be a time in our minds when a safe travels prayer would be appropriate. Their prayer blows our minds. They started out like this, Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord, God who is above everything, including us and including them. Powerful God. You knew this stuff was going to happen, they said. A thousand years ago, you told King David that the rulers of the earth would gather together against the Lord and his Messiah, against Jesus. You knew it was going to be this way, God. And right here, right now, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, people of Israel, all united against Jesus. But you knew what they were going to do before they were even born. And then the prayer turns. Now they get to the ask. They didn't start with the ask. That's big. They started with an acknowledgement that they're in the presence of the holy God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They weren't treating God like a servant. They were treating him like a sovereign. They start out with wonder and praise. But now they ask God for something. Can you guess for what? protection, safety. Look what they say. And now, Lord, hear their threats. You know what they're saying. And give us boldness. Give us boldness. Isn't boldness what got him into the mess? Isn't boldness what landed Peter and John in jail? Isn't boldness what's creating the tensions with the authorities? Isn't boldness self-destructive? Sometimes. God, give us more boldness. I mean, they'd been outrageously bold already. You killed him, God raised him. 3,000 converts, then 5,000 at least. And these guys are praying for more boldness. Have you ever prayed for boldness? I have. You know why? Because sometimes boldness can be hurtful and self-destructive. It can hurt others and it can hurt you. So there have been times when I've been tempted not to be bold. There are times when I've been warned not to be bold, to stay away from controversial stuff because people are watching me. So I've had to ask God to give me the boldness to say things that are hard when necessary. I've also asked God to help me discern whether my boldness is just belligerence because I'm capable of that too. Truth with grace, truth with grace. If you can't speak truth with grace, then shut up. Have you ever prayed God for boldness? Now, I'm not talking about asking God to make you obnoxious like some Jesus followers when they talk about Jesus. That's not good. That's not truth with grace. Have you ever asked God to give you the sensitivity to see it when he opens up a door for you to share Jesus? Asked him for the courage to step through that door and the wisdom to say the right thing, to do the right thing. 
Have you ever asked God for the courage to say something when it would be easier not to say something or do something when it would be easier to do nothing at all? Guys, that is a big prayer. Give us, your servants, boldness in sharing Jesus. And then they said this, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done. May miraculous signs and wonders be done. They prayed for that through the name of the Holy Servant, Jesus. And when we read words like that, sometimes we get this image in our mind of some TV preacher in a lavish church building laying his hands on people's forehead, one hand on the forehead, the other hand reaching for their wallet, right? None of the earliest Jesus followers would have thought of anything like that. They're not asking God to do some miracles in church for God's people. They're asking God to help them to go outside into a, a hostile world and to live in such a way that unbelievers have to marvel and say, God has to be in this thing. This has to be an act of God. Andy Stanley put it like this. He says, what if you began to pray like this? God, please stretch out your hand and do something in me, through me, that my secular community, my unbelieving friends, my anti-church friends, my friends who've been burned out by religion. I mean, some of my friends are so smart, they're so much smarter than me that when I bring something up, they just quote people that I've never heard of. God, I can't convince them with my power. I'm not smart enough. Would you be willing to do something unusual, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of those who don't believe? you ever prayed a prayer like that? That's a big prayer, guys. It's a huge prayer. Because the chances are, if you keep praying that, God will do it. And it'll stretch you. I've teased you a little bit this morning about puny prayers. <clears throat> I'm not asking you to quit praying puny prayers. God tells us to pray about everything. I'm telling you not to stop there. Don't quit there. Pray for the big prayers, too. I mean, you can pray, God, thanks for the day, and God, give us a safe trip home, and God, keep my face from breaking out before the date on Friday, and God, be with my kids, and heal my mom's COVID, and help me find a better job. They're fine prayers. But add this. God, would you give me the boldness that I need to share Jesus with my friends? people that I love, people that you love? Would you give me the boldness, the sensitivity to see the opportunities that you create for me to share Jesus? And would you give me the courage to, to act on those opportunities? And would you give me the words to say and help me to do the right thing? And God, would you do something through me or around me that would get my friends who've written you off, who've written the church off, would you do something that would help those friends take a second look? that Jesus said God has to be in this thing. Can you imagine what would happen if we started praying prayers like that? I'll tell you what would happen. Without a doubt, God would open some doors. Now, he already does it, but when you start praying for something, God designed you to see what you're looking for. When you begin to pray, God, make me bolder, he will. When you begin to pray, God, do things in me and through me and around me that are going to draw people to you, <clears throat> he will, because he does. 
So let's do it. Right here, right now. Let's make sure the church, his church, Capital City Christian Church, let's make sure those of us who make up Capital City Christian Church are focused on being witnesses to those out there more than just taking care of our own. We're going to pray for protection and safety because our country's a mess, right? And it could get messier. So we're going to pray for protection. And we're going to pray for health. There is a pandemic. And I know that people disagree vehemently about how dangerous it is and what the appropriate response should be. But people we care about are sick and some die, especially the oldest of us and a whole lot of people beyond COVID just need God's help physically. And we're going to pray for financial security. I know we're a rich people. Still, guys, our country's going through, through incredibly hard times financially. There are people who've lost their jobs. There are businesses that have had to shut down. There are people who've blown through their savings. We're going to pray for, about money for those who are struggling through no fault of their own. We're going to pray for our country. Not going to pray for just the Republicans or the Democrats. We're going to pray for our country and its leaders, whether you like them or not, because he tells us to. And remember, guys, there can be no lasting change, no permanent change without changed hearts, and changing hearts is our job. That's our job, and there's no more important job than God has given to us. And we're going to pray for boldness. We're going to ask God to give us boldness in truth and grace. We're going to ask God to make us bold Jesus followers, to stand tall for Jesus, not to make us obnoxious, but to be bold with truth and grace. And we're going to ask God to do things through us, around us, in us that point people to Jesus, the Savior and the Lord, right? Those are the biggest prayers. In fact, we can probably start just by reading their prayer. Would you read it with me out loud? And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. <clears throat> May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Could you pray that? Could you pray it from your heart? Let's pray. Father, first of all, we're just grateful to be in your presence. You're the sovereign God. You hold everything in your hands. You hold our eternities in your hands. <clears throat> and you're good. And you're powerful. And you love us. We're grateful. We do ask for protection, for safety, especially in what can be very tumultuous times, tumultuous places. We do pray for health. People get sick for so many reasons. And oftentimes you choose not to intervene, but sometimes you choose to intervene. And, and always you give the spiritual strength to handle whatever comes our way. Father, we ask for 
help for a lot of folks who are going through financially tough times right now. It's the holidays. And there are those who have lost their jobs and there are those who have blown through their savings and it's just hard. And we pray that as a family of God, Jesus followers, that we can be some of the resources that they need just to get through this time. We pray for our country and its leaders. There's been, a, it's been an election and some people are happy and some are not. We pray, Lord, that uh, those who are stepping into positions of leadership will be responsive to your nudges. And we pray especially for boldness, God. Make us bolder. Give us boldness. And even though this is hard for us to understand, God, if you could do something in us through us that is so amazing that people around us would say, God's got to be part of that. God, we're open because we want to be on mission. God, we want to be part of this cause, part of this movement. We want to live for something way bigger than ourselves. Help us to be the church in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, wherever you lead us. Help us to stand tall for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Can you pray something like that and mean it? Guys, we voted <clears throat> last week. You did something really important. This is bigger. Infinitely more important. Be bold. If you go out in the foyer next to our communion cups, you'll find little black wristbands. Hard to read. It says, be bold. If I'd been smarter, they'd say, be bold with truth and grace. Be bold in your truth. Be bold in your grace. When you read, be bold, think truth and grace. Take one of these. You can wear it if you want. Put it on your desk. Put it in your nightstand somewhere as a reminder this is who we are. We're Jesus followers, guys. Be bold. Let's stand tall for Jesus.